Hey everyone, welcome back to the Enduring Churches. And Alan uh, and I, I'm Trent, by the way, this is Alan also here with me. And and we want to thank you for taking some time to um, listen to this. And we hope you'll start a conversation with us, by the way. But today I have a question for you. Um, you know, if, thinking about, I want you to just think about your church. How do things function? Are there, how are things set up leadership-wise and and a business business meeting wise and how do things function does your church does it do things happen smoothly or is it set up to fail and so alan has put together a great note today for us on structure of church and you know alan was mentioning this earlier that scripture doesn't always give us directions on how to set things up um, and a lot of that comes maybe from our denomination so alan Kind of talk through us about what you're thinking here. Yeah, you know, so I think that the Bible tells us, you know, we we know our call is to fulfill the Great Commission, you know, and so we know where we're supposed to go. We know what we're supposed to do, and that's to be about the gospel. You know, we know the where. It's all around the world. Um, but that how question, how do we do that? You know, the Bible's not really clear on the how how method and i remember i don't remember who shared that with me but i always have remembered that mm-hmm. i think it's such a good thought but churches structure themselves oftentimes i believe to fail and we have to be careful with our church structure um, whether that's we haven't looked at it in a hundred years with whether that's we're setting up something brand new and it's going to fail um, because it's not set up well, whatever it is we're doing with, with the how can certainly set us up to succeed or fail. It's not the most important thing, but it's a very important thing. Right. Yeah. It can take the joy out of church sometimes. Uh, you and I've been part of places where it's been a struggle sometimes. And so, you know, and one of the things as you're saying that, I, it makes me think that I think that God leaves some of the the house vague because it's different people in different parts of the world um, doing church, doing life together in a different culture. And so um, that's why as we talk about these structures, you may not be able to take somebody else's structure and just implement, implement what's the word? Put it, put it in your church. You can't do that. <laughs> See, I can't even say it. Cut Let's say it. it that's how I like to say it. Yeah, there you go. But, you know, it may not, somebody else's structure may not work where you are because the culture is different. And uh, so we'll just want to talk through several things that you might want to keep in mind as you're thinking about your church or maybe if you're starting a new church. Yeah, so kind of think of these as six evidences of structural damage um, in your church. Maybe that'll help you kind of understand what we're talking about here. And the first one is one I, I find that's very common in, in our sphere in in Southern Baptist life, Trent, where we are, and that's uh, this idea that a structure was set up a long time ago where deacons kind of run the church and they don't serve the church. And mm-hmm. I will tell you, just based off experience, that is a structure of church operations that is destined to fail. It fails over and over and over again. Oh yeah, I I agree with you, Alan. I've seen. I've seen this and uh, even been a part of some churches. I was a deacon before I was a pastor. So, um, you know, I, I, I know that that is a problem. You know, when 
scripture tells us that deacons are to be servants in the church. And sometimes that in a local church, they misconstrue that to be the ones in charge of the church. And, and so that's going to cause problems. There's going to be fights between the pastor who is supposed to be in charge of leading the church. Um, there's going to be fights between the deacons and the pastor, and it'll be no fun. But there's an opposite side, too. So, you know, if one structure is a bad structure that the deacons aren't serving, but they're just kind of embodying the power. And mm -hmm. I think there's a reason churches get to that place. There's also a reason they get to this other place. And that's that pastor who's managed to get control and controls everything in the church. They, they, have, right. they have their hands in every pot. They make every decision. And people are afraid to make a decision um, outside, outside the pastor's input. Yeah. And so if you're a pastor, let's think about that. Um, you know, how do you keep that from happening? Because sometimes our personalities, we're, we want to be involved in everything. And people look for us to be the leaders. Uh, but how do we keep from trying to control or... You know, honestly, because my personality is I want to be involved in all this stuff in my church. But I don't want to be a guy who is a despot, who is controlling everything, running the whole show. Uh, because one of these days, if I die or God moves me, what happens to the church? Yeah, and I think it's easy to understand how these two happen. You know, on, mm -hmm. on the one side, you know, traditionally, the average tenure in a church is less than five years for, for a lead pastor. Well, you're not even giving yourself enough time to become leader of the church. So there's a leadership void and who's most likely to step up. The people that have been identified is these are people we respect in the church. So we look to them to make decisions in the absence of, of leadership, you know, so they're making decisions and then a new pastor comes in and they usually didn't pick him. Some other committee did and they have to find a way to work together and their personalities may or may not mesh. And so at times it can be, can 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 look like conflict and it can it, it can truly be surrounded in conflict there you have an issue um that has played out over and over and over again and really both sides losing the side of god in this on the other side you have pastors who've maybe been burned uh, by a different structure so once i can get control i'm going to hold on to that control and i'm not going to give it up but both extremes of this are are extremely unhealthy. And if it's not a deacon that, a group that controls everything, and your structure could be another lay group of some kind that controls everything. But when you give absolute control to a group over another group, you're going to run into trouble. All right. So, Alan, we we've seen that the deacons and pastors can you know go back and forth. Um, then there's also sometimes there's leadership teams in a church, depending on the way things are set up. And this may be an evidence of a structural problem. And that is that leadership teams can sometimes be too big or they can be too small to get anything done. So give me an example of this. Well, I remember a church one time that had a had an ongoing leadership team that made the decisions in the church. Think of it kind of as an administrative team. And they had 15 people on it. Mm -hmm. That means there's there's 15 opinions uh, to work through to accomplish anything. And that can be a real struggle. It can be a, a real 
a real challenge when you're trying to accomplish something. And so, you know, recognizing the importance of, you know, leadership shouldn't, shouldn't be everybody, but there has to be a way to get decisions done efficiently. Also, if you have that many people, just think about trying to find a meeting time when you can have enough people there to make it count. Because if you make a decision, you may have nine people and that technically may be a quorum, but if that, that vote, if that vote went, you know, um, eight to seven, those other six mm -hmm. could have been on the other side of things. I mean, right. well, I guess my math didn't work out, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. You can actually create, create a problem. If it went six to three, but the other six were on the other side, you really didn't have a, have a, a solid decision. True. So right. you have to think about the, the size of the team. And so I, one of the things I've seen churches do is just make their leaderships teams uh, too, too big. The other way you can do it is you make it too small. And if your leadership's too small, team is too small, one, you're not getting enough opinions. You're not getting enough mm -hmm. thoughts. It can almost look like just a, a group of two or three who sit around until they come up with the solution they like. But the other side of that is you lose the trust of your people. If mm -hmm. it's too small, people are always going to be skeptical about who you are, especially in this day and age when, when organizations are not trusted as well as they were in the past. That's true. People question everything these days, and understandably so. Um, you know, and so, Alan, if you think about a church like our leadership team, we had a representative from every ministry that we had in our church was our lead team. Um, and maybe that was too much. It was hard to get them together. Um, and so you kind of have to think through that. Maybe the, the smaller groups for sure needs to be those committees that are doing those ministries. Um, or, you know, it just depends. And every church go is going to be different. But I guess the challenge is to think through how is that going to function on a daily basis. Yeah, so obviously you can be too big or too small. You can also have ones that have no purpose. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and really the old school committee structure thrived on that you had you had teams you i mean you had standing committees um you know or or committees that was just they basically was there to fill a void if a, some other committee couldn't do their job like they were the runner-up in a beauty pageant or something like that <laughs> yeah. you know I, right. I often i often thought that a committee on committees was redundant um mm -hmm. because Again, if you had a good, good already structure set up, then you're trusting your church and your leadership to help get people in the right spot. You didn't need to put a team together to figure out who should be in the right spot. You should already kind of know who that is, and you you should have a better way of structuring that than have a committee that that sits around and 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 does that. So, you know, I I just feel like there's a lot of useless committees in, in churches that they really shouldn't have and don't function and don't meet. And so, why have them? But that also brings in the question, do you have teams or do you have committees? And that's something else to think about. Yeah, th this is an important thing to think through. And let me just give you a warning, pastors. If you are like, well, okay, good. That, this is Alan and Trent said I should go get rid of half my committees. Uh, be really careful um, and be wise in dealing with people because you're going to make some people really torqued off. If you uh, decide, if you just show up and say, hey, we're getting rid of half our committees, this is a, 
teaching time and you take your time working through the process. And a lot of that has to do with the culture too and, and the where you are, your church is in its life cycle. Um, because there are times when you need those group, those teams or committees and times when you don't. Our, we just, we're going through our constitution bylaws and our operations manual for our association of churches and at one time, there were several committees that we had that were very active, but now churches don't need those things. And so we're, we're getting rid of about half of our teams. So, uh, but we had to have, there was a committee that worked through that, our Constitution Bylaws Committee worked through that. So if you have a lot of useless teams, you're going you're gonna to hurt your own structure because people aren't going to want to be part of it. And so people do not want to give their time to things that they can't that they can't see any purpose in. The other thing that they don't want to do is commit commit an indefinite amount of time these days to mm -hmm. being on something. So indefinite commitments is another thing that can really hurt your structure, whether it becomes someone who becomes entrenched in a role and they won't change or they won't adapt or they don't want to be a part of it because they don't know how long they're serving, committing to serve for. Right. And so this, the answer to this, Alan, is our job descriptions. Um, most committees and most churches have committees, but they don't have any kind of job description of what that committee is, is actually required to do. Um, and I know we're kind of in the process where I am of working through some of that and building those job descriptions. But the more that you can have hand to that pit, that committee, or even to people you're asking to serve, say, here's what you're asked to do. Um, that takes away that indefinite commitment. You know, there's there's a limit on that. I think it's important. Yeah, and you know, when in my last church, when we did, did a structural thing, we had um, some of the people on our leadership team could be reelected um, consecutive mm -hmm. terms. A number of them had to be rotated out. So they had to would take, have to take a year off before they could be put back on. So there were always some fresh faces on there, and there was always a way out, too, for some people to be placed in a, in a different role within that. So I think it's important, too, when you're thinking about those things, to, to have places where people can get off. And maybe in mm -hmm. some cases it might be wise to have a rotation system, um, especially if your church has a history of entrenched leadership, that when you're restructuring to find a way where that doesn't happen again. So there's some things that you can do that will really help you in that. You, Of course, you have to maneuver. You don't say, well, you remember old so-and-so. Um, be wise in how you lead through mm -hmm. these changes. Um, but don't have indefinite commitments like that. The sixth thing, uh, Trent, we have on here is unreviewed documents. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Well, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit. Um, we're in the process of going through that right now with our um, network of churches, going through those that constitution and the, the operations manuals, what we call it. And, and I think this is huge because um, if you have a maybe a constitution that was put in place, say, 50, 60, 75 years ago, first of all, have you read it? Are you following it? If not, um, if somebody wanted to throw a, a big stink, there could be litigation if you're not following the, the constitution of your church. 
And so I would, first of all, I encourage you to read it and observe what your constitution says, but then also have a, a committee, a team that works through it and say, okay, are these things still us? Do any of these things not happen? If not, why? If there's a good reason, then you need to amend your constitution and take that out. Um, so going through your documents that are leading your church, first of all, you can teach your church how you're supposed to function, but then you also have the opportunity to change them if necessary. Yeah, that's an important one. And, you know, your constitution, you know, a good rule of thumb, every five years, take a look at it. See, see if your constitution's up to date, if it says the things it needs to say. One of the things I would encourage your church to, um, I don't know where I got this one, but make sure that your constitution allows you to grow four to five times bigger than you are presently, up to 10 times. I've even heard someone say 10 times, but make sure that your constitution can grow with you. Um, if, if it can't, then you're already limiting your growth. And, and by that, I, I mean, it's important to think about, okay, well, how would we do this? If we're a church that's running 100, how would we, how effective would this be if we were running 400? Because that can happen quickly in a church. So mm -hmm. if you grow, will your constitution, your structure grow with you? So you need to look at that and make sure that it will cover that for you. Uh, your bylaws, um, and again, these are kind of a subset of your constitution, but you should look at your bylaws every couple of years. Make sure that, that it, they say everything um, that they need to say. And so you're going to look at those every couple of years. And then policies, policies, procedures, and I, I'd say job descriptions fall, fall into this as well. Mm -hmm. um, but how often should you re review those? Well, a couple of thoughts I have about this, Alan, is first of all, I was just thinking about from the standpoint of a new pastor coming in, um, make sure that you have somebody that walks through those with that new pastor. And so that gives you the opportunity to, so that he understands them. But then, um, you know, about every year, because the culture of a church can change quickly. Um, if that, if a church is growing, as you mentioned earlier from, you know, growing quickly, then your policies may need to change pretty quickly. And there's legal issues sometimes that creep up that you need to change a policy on. There are issues that you find that you need to do. Um, if laws change about, you know, um, for if you have a church bus and the laws change on who can drive a bus, your policies need to reflect that. You know, right. in Southern Baptist life, we, we had a lot of conversations about sexual abuse in the church. Do your policies reflect um, that accurately do they need to be updated have they been have they been looked at have certain laws been passed in your state that, mm -hmm. that need to have a policy reflected in the life of your church there's a lot of things that you need to look at on on a regular on a regular basis in regards to your policies and procedures yeah another thing that may affect that is your insurance um, we just had a visit with talking with our insurance agent of, about all the different parts of that and he brought up a, a thing that, you know, not only do we do background checks, but, you know, if we have these statements, these policies and, um, you know, ways for things to happen in our uh, policies and our job descriptions or our policy manual, then that gets us some, some you know, we can get some uh, money off of our, our bill every year 
uh, for insurance. And so things like that, you know, that may be a simple addition, uh, you can get a discount that may help you out tremendously. So, you know, there's a lot of things. The law is changing, as Alan said. Insurance may affect how you do some of those things as well. So there are just six things to think about. You know, you want to structure for success. You don't want to have structural damage in your church. So check around and look, look and see if you've got some damage in your church and you need to identify some structural things. We've got deacons who control and don't serve, pastors who control everything, leaderships, teams that are too big or too small, useless committees and teams, indefinite commitments, or unreviewed documents. And so those are just six things we want you to think about. Um, today, any final words for us? No, I, we want your church to be successful and to do well. And so we don't want anything to stand in the way. And so today's topic was about things that could stand in the way of your church doing well. If you have other suggestions of things that you might um, have come to mind as we're talking about this, we'd love to hear from you. And so um, feel free to contact us in our show notes. You can find out how to do that. And maybe you'll give us a great idea for another topic for the Enduring Church.